0: Today, I'm going to talk to you in just a moment. We got like just a couple weeks left. I've been talking about discipleship a lot, I know, but there's so much in the Word of God that talks about it. I just want to talk to you today about the cost. We're going to be looking in the book of Luke, chapter 14, and we're going to talk about it's a question are you willing to pay the price? Uh, When it comes to discipleship, the question today is are you willing to pay the price? Now, notice I'm not saying are you willing to be a Christian, there's a difference. Being a Christian, is, is, is salvation is free, amen? Okay. But choosing, choosing to be a discipleship means you have to be conscientious of what, you have to purposely go after it. So you're being proactive. So Revelation 22:17 17 tells us that salvation is without cost, but growing up in faith um, has a price tag to it. Uh, there's always going to be a cost. Now, I want to say this in retrospect to what I'm about to say. I'm going to talk to you about the cost of discipleship, and, and, and I'm just going to point out three things today, okay? Observations, if you will, price tags, if you want to call it that. But if you're here today and at any point you think, geez, Louise, that's a, that seems like a steep price tag, let me just remind you to not follow Christ has the greater price tag on it, even though you may not see it right now. Have you ever gone to the register and scanned something that you thought was $10, ended up being $30, and you're like, what's up with that? It sneaks up on you. In life, if you think you can get by with just not having to worry about discipleship or growing in my faith or walking with Christ, and somehow you're going to slide in safe to home, um, yeah, salvation is free of charge, but discipleship is the visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. You're not afraid, you're not ashamed, you're not arrogant either, but There's a price tag that comes to being a disciple, just like there is to being a Christian. But we need to be more concerned with what God says and not with what the world says. Can we agree on that? I mean, if we worry about what the world has to say more than what God has to say, this is your heaven right here. This is it. But God gives us a promise of something so much greater. So I'll read to you from Luke here in just a moment, but um, Jesus is talking in the scriptures here. I'm going to read from Luke. I'll bounce over to Matthew, and I'll eventually end up somewhere else. Um, But Jesus is talking to people, a group of people, and the crowd starts to grow. But what he does is he uses it as an opportunity to talk about what it means to be a true disciple. Now, remember, the disciples were walking with Jesus, the first-generation disciples, kind of like your first-generation iPod or something, the, the original, the real deal. They were walking with Jesus. And as things started popping, things started happening, miracles were taking place, the, the attendance grew, and Jesus used that as an opportunity to address what it means to truly be a disciple. So what he spoke to that first generation of disciples, he speaks to you and me today as his disciples as well. And we have to make sure we understand that discipleship, the benefits will be out not only out of this world, but we will experience them in this world as well but they come with a price tag attached to them. When I was a teenager, I valued clothing. I wanted to have the cool clothes. Now, you gotta remember I grew up in the 80s, so what I called cool then, they might not call cool now, but what's fun is, is the stuff I did call cool is coming back in, you know, if you notice how it always does that? Is it just me or are bell bottoms coming back in? You know, I'm seeing them at least on children's outfits. I've got a cousin who still wears bell bottoms to this day and has ever since the 70s. But me being an 80s product, I wanted the and washed jeans, they had to be bugle boys, I'd peg the pant leg, get my Miami Vice pink shirt on, pop the collar up, and I was looking good. But you see, I wanted all of the clothes, but I never really counted the cost, I just expected mom and dad to pay for it. I expected them to foot the bill. As a matter of fact, when I went into stores, I didn't even look at the price tag, I looked at what looked best on me, and then they had to figure out how to make it happen. Sometimes I heard yes, sometimes I heard no. And sometimes I manipulated things. I know this shocks you, but I manipulated things to get what I wanted. I know you guys don't do that, but I did. You would never think of it, but I did. I'm going to tell a story that I'm not proud of it, but it happened. My dad, for some reason, gave me his credit card. (laughs) What, What was he thinking? I was a teenager with a credit card and I thought, he told me I could get a few clothing items, so I went to a specific store and I bought this outfit. I'm not even gonna tell you, because you all will make fun of me, so I'm not even gonna give you the opportunity to make fun of the outfit, but I bought it and it was, I think, $60 or $80 for like a pair of jeans that I really wanted. But you know what, I didn't even count the cost. I didn't even look at the price tag. I said, I want it. And when I went up to the register, boop, scanned it. And I didn't tell Dad how much it was, why would I do that, right? But a month later, and you know what happens in a month from then, the bill comes in the mail. Jim, what did you spend $80 on? Oh, man, I, I don't really remember. I think it was probably some necessities I needed in life. But you see, in that whole scenario, I wanted what I wanted, and I wasn't considering the cost. So I had to get educated from my mom and my dad about the cost that is required to get that which you want, now I'm an adult. Guess what's the first thing I look at when I go into the store? The price tag. I can care less about how cool it looks. I think I'm a pretty simple person, but I tell you, I, as, a few weeks ago I said, hi, my name's Jim Bainchin, I'm a Costco addict. I, you know, I love to go to Costco. You know why? Because I can get a pair of jeans for $14. And I feel like I am just a beast, right? Because I got a deal. You know, how, how things have changed. What, what made the difference? I started to consider the cost. In your walk with Christ, yes, being a Christian is the goal. Being a follower of Jesus, but what does it truly mean to follow Jesus? He calls us to discipleship, a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. But he says, I want you to be aware that there's going to be a bill in the mail. In other words, he says, there's a cost, there's a price. He says, I want you to know there's extreme benefits. And so again, if you're thinking, well, if there's going to be a cost to this and it's going to make me uncomfortable, I'd rather not do it. But the cost to not follow after Christ is much steeper and greater and way more tragic than to follow him. In Luke chapter 14, here's what he says. Again, he's speaking to his disciples. Well, he's speaking to the whole crowd, the disciples that are there and it says in verse 25 that a great multitude went to him and he turned to them and said, if anyone comes to me and does, not hate, uh, and does not hate his father or mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now I'm sure that first verse when he said that, people looked at him like, I think Jesus is losing it, right? What does he mean? I got to hate everybody. He continues and says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? Whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, but wasn't able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider, or another way to say it is, count the cost? Whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes out with 20,000, or else while Uh, The other is still a great way off. He sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He goes on to say, "Salt is good, but if it loses, or if it has lost its flavor, how can it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land or the dunghill. But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear." Now he said a lot of things that at first people could say. I don't get this. And we just kind of skip over this verse. You know, anybody who doesn't hate mother, father, brother, sister, whatever. And you might think, uh, th- this isn't really making sense to me because I thought this book, this word of God, was all about love. And now he's saying that I have to hate my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister in order to, 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 to love you. Now, I know his brothers and sisters were like, check, we got that one. No worries. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about literally hating somebody, as we'll find out in a moment. But notice he said, great multitudes went to him. And the scripture says, he turned to them and said, he, he saw an opportunity. And the opportunity he saw then is the one he speaks to us now about addressing what it means to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because he saw large crowds starting to gather. He saw the people starting to come in and, and he recognized something. These people are here in masses, but they're here. Why are they here? Are they here for the right reason? Are they here to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ? Or are they here just to get the benefits of hanging out with me? Because people started seeing these great things happen. Don't get me wrong. If Jesus showed up in Clinton, Iowa, and started healing people, people would be drawn to that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But these people started seeing that the deaf were hearing, the blind were seeing, the lame were walking, and people were just like, man, he's in beast mode. Jesus is just doing phenomenal things. And they get drawn out to him. Large crowds follow after him. And every time, I find this ironic, but every time a crowd got big, Jesus would say something to shrink the crowd. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? Anytime the crowd got big, Jesus would do something, he would say something that would just reduce the crowd. He is, to, to my knowledge, he is the only preacher who intentionally tried to make church smaller. All of us are trying to make our churches bigger. We want more people to come. But, but what, what's the reason? Why are we wanting people to come? Is it so we can feel good about what we're doing or is it so that we can truly become disciples? of of Jesus Christ. So Jesus recognized the reason. He recognized why people were coming. And so he decided to address the crowd and called out the cost of discipleship. Because people, maybe their hearts, you know, were in the right place. They were interested. They they saw something great. I would want to be, I would be drawn to that too. But the question would remain. If I were living in that day and I was in the crowd and Jesus addressed this, the question would Demand a response from me? Am I here for the right reason? Am I here to be a disciple or am I here just to get what I want? And I expect Jesus to pay for the the genes, so to speak, taking it back to my analogy. You know, there's always going to be a cost involved. We all know this, but we have to make sure we understand the cost. Now, at this point, when Jesus addresses the crowd, he's not getting a lot of amens in his sermon, okay? When he addresses all of this, he's not get, he hit him with a zinger and he said, listen, you have to hate your mother and your father, your brother, your sister, and you have to completely commit to me if you're truly going to be my disciple. What does he mean when he says this? Because there's something different that's going on. There's something different that's happening. You're telling me I can't be a serious follower of Jesus unless I, I hate the people that I love? No, that's not what he said. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 10. He says this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Don't think I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, I'm confused, Pastor. You've just given me two scriptures where God said that we're not supposed to love these people, but we must love God more. It, I, I, I'm lost. What, what is the price? Here's the first thing. Write this down as number one. When you have to choose between Jesus and anyone or anything else, you choose Jesus. In the scripture, he's not saying you have to literally hate your father or your mother or your brother or your sister. What he's addressing in Luke, has not, it's about, not about your affections. He's talking about your decisions in life. He's not saying that you affectionately have to have a disdain for a family member in order to prove your love to Jesus. He's saying that when it boils right down to it, are you going to listen to them or are you going to listen to me? Now I've shared this story before, but there was a time in my life when I was stuck. I was in a conundrum and I didn't know what to do because we had transitioned. My dad and I, he was the senior pastor, I become the senior pastor. It's it's a blessing and it's awkward at the same time. And 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 from the outside, you know, people would always say, Oh, that must be so awesome and so amazing, and it is. But what they don't understand is there's some awkwardness too. One day I'm in my office. And I prayed about something that needed to be done. And I felt like God spoke to me. But then my dad came and talked to me and he told me what he thought and what God said and what he said didn't match up. I'm in a conundrum. What do I do? I'm stuck because I love my dad, but I love my father, God, and I don't know what to do. And so I looked at him and I said, dad, I'm I'm stuck. And he said, what are you stuck with? And I said, God told me to do this. You told me to do this. And I don't know what to do. Without missing a beat, he said, do whatever it is that God told you. Amen. Do whatever it is. This is what I'm talking about in discipleship. When, when the scripture says that you hate mother, father, brother, sister, you don't literally have a disdain and a hatred towards them. He's saying that when whatever the world has to say, no matter how much you love or don't love them, whatever they say, when it butts up against with what God says, you choose God. Amen. You choose God. When you find yourself stuck, a disciple says, Jesus, what do you have to say? You can get advice from people. I ask advice from people all the time. But what does God say? He says the the, the first price tag that you're going to find when it comes to discipleship is when when you butt up against what this world or man has to say versus what God has to say, you and I choose God. Discipleship demands that we say yes to god regardless of what ridicule we may go through we got to say yes to him that's what a disciple does follows through with what jesus has to say yes there's going to be price tags when you say yes to jesus and no to everybody else because sometimes you may see an opportunity in front of you that looks good and other people tell you it looks great but god says don't do it or it could be the opposite are you going to hear what God has to say and listen to him? Because to listen to God means this. Not just hearing what he said, but doing something with what he said. That's where it makes a real difference. Because I hear my wife all the time, but I don't always do what she says, right? She can tell me, and I have that choice to make. See, the listening, hearing. We've got to be able to take what's said from God and do something with it. Because that's what truly shapes us, informs us. It transforms us. And Jesus Christ says, you cannot be a disciple if I, Jesus Christ, have to lose out to your human relationships. Now, God cares about you. He cares about your human relationships. He cares about each and every person. But he says, when it comes right down to it, at the end of the day, and it's you and me, do I win, is what he wants to know. Do I win out? Or do you just go on doing what it is you want to do? It, he wants us to grow and be involved in our growth. He wants us to be at church. He wants us to, to feed ourselves spiritually. But you see, it's not so much about, did you like the sermon or did you like the Sunday songs that, that we did in worship? Did you shout? Did you raise your hands in the air? He says, it, it involves that, but does it transform you? Does it change who you are? So when you're driving around, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, You're not just asking God what he thinks on Sunday morning while you're at church, but you're asking him while you're in your truck or in your car or shopping in the store or doing whatever it is you're doing. Are you still involving him? Are you still including him? That's one of the first price tags that we're going to find because if Jesus loses and others win, we ultimately lose. Did you follow that? You know, you may feel good about what somebody said, it might be a quick fix. But ultimately, if we say no to God, in the end, we miss out on the great blessings. Because it's not about the large crowds anymore. It's about hearing the voice of the Lord. It's about learning to do what Jesus did and shrink the crowd, so to speak, so that we focus in on what God has to say. Now, at this point when Jesus is talking to his disciples uh, and he starts telling them about the cost of discipleship, that's exactly what happened. People started getting busy and saying, oh, you know, look at the time. It's 11.20, I forgot. I've got, I've got a pot roast in the oven and I, I gotta go grab that. And they start leaving. They start walking away from him. People started saying, I, I, I don't know if I can do that. And they started leaving. The crowd was starting to shrink because he was just simply putting out there, there's a cost. There's a cost involved. And he was just putting it out there in front of everybody, not like it's some kind of a punishment. There's always going to be a cost involved, but discipleship has to do with with heaven and history. It has to do with with Christ in time and our everyday life. Let me take you back to the beginning of the Bible, almost completely the beginning, Genesis chapter two. Uh, Abraham uh, and Sarah had... A child, right? And his name was, quick Quick quiz, do you remember? Isaac, right? And when they had Isaac, you got to remember, they were, they were floored by this, because Scripture says that they were well past their childbearing age. It, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but I think, I want to say that uh, Abraham was around 100 years old, and Sarah was around 90 years old. How many of you here today, 50 years and above, would love to hear that your wife is pregnant? Yeah? She comes out, hey, it's a boy. No, no, that would put your husband in the grave probably or vice versa, right? So I can't even think about having a baby in my 90s or 100s. I can't even think about living to my 100, you know? But granted, yes, back in the Bible days, you know, earlier, they did live longer. So I don't know how that all played out. But my point is simply this. They wanted a child. They prayed for a child. They expected a child. And finally... This child comes. And what's one of the first things that God asked Abraham to do? He asked him to sacrifice Isaac. He said, I want you to take him up to the mountain. I want you to offer him up to me as an offering. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could do that. Well, pastor, did you just say that you would put something else above God? I don't know what I just said, to be honest with you. Because in our human emotions, we struggle. Well, God really asked me to do something like that? Well, he might not ask me to put my son up there, but he might ask me to put my career or my reputation or, or, you know, it could be anything. He might say, all right, here's what God wants to know. If God asks you to surrender or sacrifice anything, are you gonna be willing to do it or are you gonna come up with excuses? When you look in Genesis, it says that God told Abraham to offer up Isaac And you know what Abraham's response was? It says, the very next day, he got up, he saddled his donkey, and he went up the mountain because God spoke to him. He was completely following after Christ. He was obeying God no matter what he felt emotionally. He knew that if this is what God said, then God's going to provide. You know, And if you read the scripture, if you read that story on further, you find out because because of Abraham's obedience, It says that when he got to the place that he was supposed to be at, that God said, now I know that you love me. And God provided a ram uh, to be a sacrifice instead of the son. What was God doing in that that moment? He was wanting to know, do you love your Isaac more than you love me? And that's the question I ask you today. What would be your Isaac? What's the thing that you hold on to that defines who you are? You find your identity in. What is the thing that you would say? I, you know, It can be anything. It could be a, a title, a promotion. It can be money. It can be cars. It can be whatever it is. What is the Isaac that maybe God would speak to you? Now, I'm, hear my heart. I'm not praying that God will tell you to give something up. That's not, that's not my, my focus. My point is simply this. If God speaks to you, Does he win or does your possessions? You know, we have to be willing to come to that place where we say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you and I'm going to trust in the fact that I've heard you and I'm going to walk this through in obedience. Here's the second price tag. Write this down. A willingness to be identified with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to influence you no matter the cross that you bear. I know I made that a real long one, but... It has to do with letting yourself be identified with Christ. Let me ask you this. When people run into you and ask you if you're a Christian, uh, do you have any problem identifying with Jesus Christ? You know? I make it a point right now to get in the environment of other people's lives without letting them know that I'm a pastor. Because people, when they see pastor, oh, there's Pastor Jim. You know, it's not that huge of a leap to figure out I'm a Christian. Okay? But what I want people to see is not a pastor who must be a Christian. I want them to see somebody that is a Christian and because of it wants to serve and wants to help. So I make it a point to go out and serve people and help them where they're at, wherever they may be stuck in life. And at some point, a lot not all the time, but they'll ask me eventually, are you a Christian? And without missing a beat, I'll say, why, yes, I am. And I don't use that moment to beat them up with the Bible and tell them why they should be one. I just tell them who I, I don't have a problem identifying with Christ. And none of us should have that issue. But that is going to be a price tag that comes with discipleship. Are you willing to be identified with Jesus? And are you willing to let the Holy Spirit work through you to love others, to serve others? You see, Abraham, Isaac is what Abraham loved the most. And so that's why I ask the question, what's your Isaac? Um, and the question even greater than that is, is, do you choose your Isaac or do you choose God? Are, are you willing to be identified with God? There are blessings that come when you follow Christ. There are blessings that come in the process of discipleship. Uh, we celebrated last week those that were in the military for Veterans Day uh, or Veterans Week. And I did, I've not served in the military, but I have great respect for those who do. There are people that literally put their lives on the line so that we can have the freedoms that we have today. But many times what happens is, is when somebody goes in, I remember being a teenager, a couple of my buddies were going into the military and I went with them when they took uh, the ASFAB test and did a few other things. And um, they, they sold them on this. They said, listen, if you join the military, you're gonna, you're gonna have a blast. We're gonna train you. We're going to educate you. We're going to equip you. We're going to give you all of these goodies. We're going to, your college will be paid for. You'll be the elite, a few good men and women. We'll give you uniforms to wear. We'll give you food to eat. Of course, they didn't tell them what kind of food that would be, but they said, we'll give you food to eat. But what they didn't tell them up front is that you'll be risking your life. They didn't tell them that you may have to get shipped overseas because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen but they were told of all of the benefits that come, but then eventually they were told, but you've got to understand as well that this comes with a cost. You may literally have to lay your life down on the line for this country. Are you willing to do that? In discipleship, Jesus says there are many benefits that come through the process of discipleship, but you have to understand this. There is a price tag that comes with being identified with Jesus Christ. And are you ashamed of the name of Jesus or are you willing to let, His name be heard. We've got to make that decision in our lives and know up front because He said in verse 27, whoever does not bear His cross and come after Me cannot be My disciples. If you're not willing to be identified with Him, which includes a cross, a place of suffering, uh, you know, we've all all suffered to some degree and experienced what that means. Um, He wants to know if you're hanging around consistently are you hanging around closely with jesus because if you are you'll run into him you'll experience him in your life it will transform you and then it will affect those around you but at many times we struggle there's even peter in the bible do you remember peter in the bible when he denied christ three times first generation disciple denied christ they said peter you you're one of those disciples you hung around with jesus and he said not me no wasn't me and then a the second time they said no 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 it is you we saw you and he says no no that wasn't me that had to be some other guy you know we all got beards and we got our burks on and all that stuff you, you you're, you're mistaken and then a young girl comes up and says no i heard you talking with them and all of a sudden he started cussing the bible says he started going back to his familiar language in other words he chose in that moment to not identify with christ but to identify with what he knew best which was his past now, obviously the story goes on later and there's repentance that takes place. But we all face these struggles and they're going to be there. And Jesus says that if you're going to be my disciples, are you going to be willing to be identified as a follower of Christ, as a Christian? Are you going to be ashamed of that name or are you going to embrace it? Because I believe we're living now more than ever in a post-Christian era. Yes, in God we trust. It's still printed on our money. But, but things are going funny on us here lately. There's things that that come up, and in, 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 lately it's like, we uh, how do I say it? It's no longer a Christian America. <laughs> There's challenges that are coming as we slowly start to pull Christ out of the scene. Jesus says, even in the midst of that, are you willing to take up your cross and follow me? Here's the third price tag, and that's this. It's moving from an ownership mentality to a stewardship mentality. He says, Those who are my disciples move from this mentality of owning something to a mentality of stewarding something. Um, Jesus ultimately in the Bible says, I I don't want you or me to own anything. I want you to steward it. Now, I know that can challenge our thinking, but he says in verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciples. He says, you can't You're telling me I can't be his disciple if I don't give up all my possessions? No, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm not saying that you have to do that. What he's saying is, would you be willing to if you were called upon? Are you willing to surrender, realizing that what you have isn't really yours anyway? How many of you here own your house? Well, it's kind of a trick question. Because you may have paid for it, you may have the deed to it, you may have all the paperwork but when your family passes away, it's going to somebody else. It's really not your home. As a matter of fact, the home that you have, you have because God allowed you to have that home. He's blessed you. Well, Pastor, I, I, I disagree just a little bit. I have a job that I work at so that I can make money to pay for that house. I know. I saw the money. I saw the bills, and I know that I paid it. Yes, but God gave you the job so that you could make the money to pay the bills for the house that you think you own. I don't know about that. No, God gave you, I I went to work every day. I put in 40 plus hours. But yes, God gave you the strength and the energy to be able to get up and go to that job so you could work at that job, so you could make that money, so you could pay those bills, so you could have that house. You see, everything we have from the moment we were born to the moment that we die is all on loan. God gives it to us. But yet many times we embrace life with an ownership mentality. It's mine. When my daughter was born, that was no, her first word was more. 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 Now that's okay when you're when you're when you're eight months old or a year old or however old you are when you start saying words, you know, I forget. More. More. That's okay at that age. But when you're 35 and you're still saying, more, more, there's something wrong. And it's an ownership mentality. And, and he says, the price tag of a true disciple is going to be willing to steward well that which you have. It's not about ownership. So the question is, Is what God has blessed you with, are you willing to surrender that to God if God were to ask for it? Again, I know you're getting scared right now. I don't even want to pray that prayer because what if he does ask me? God's not here to take your stuff. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't want your stuff. He blessed you with it. What does he want then? He wants me to steward it well. Steward it for the kingdom of God. You see, at this point in the sermon, his crowd's really shrunk. People don't want to hear this because they start getting fidgety and all of that when they start hearing what the cost is and, and what it is they may have to do. But the reality is, is if we don't pay attention to these price tags, we miss out on the blessings of God that comes through discipleship. Martin Luther King once said this. He said, That which does nothing, saves nothing, gives nothing, costs nothing, suffers nothing, is worth nothing. You always have to be willing to surrender. Let me close with this. And then we'll move into the waters of baptism. Pastor, why should I want to be a disciple? My first question would be, why wouldn't you want want to, first of all? But you see, there's so many benefits that come from following after Christ. How many of you here like roller coasters? Anybody? Maybe it's better to ask, who does not like roller coasters? Okay, it looks like we got more knots than we have haves, right? We went, I, I I was not a roller coaster fan, enthusiast. I've become more so now, but you'll learn as you get to know my wife and I, she's the crazy one in the relationship, okay? And when I say crazy, I don't mean, I mean, she loves adventure. You know, when we go on vacation, my idea of excitement and what gets me rattled is when I'm sitting on the beach on my chair with the sun baking me Is if the tide gets in too close, right? Oh, I got to move my chair, you know. My wife's idea of excitement is to find a cliff to jump off of. And I'm like, for, for no good reason, just jump, you know. And we, we've gone, and she's talked me into so many things. I mean, and I'm, I'm thankful for it most days, most days. She's had me climbing down the side of a mountain somewhere in Hawaii. She wants to jump out of a perfectly good plane. Who wants to do that? Well, I would be wagering there's a few of you out there, right? They, they loved the rush. They loved the excitement. And so we were taking our, uh, pe- people knowing that I'm not really, or I wasn't really into roller coasters. It was back in youth group. Uh, Pastor Chris was volunteering at the time. We had a, a kid. Uh, by the name of Aaron, who we called affectionately Amo. And uh, we went to, uh, what is it in Chicago? Six Flags, Great America? Six Flags, Great America. And so just trying to be the cool youth pastor that I was, I said, I'll tell you what, if you will start me off slow, I will go on every roller coaster y'all want to take me on. And they're like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. You know, in my heart, I'm like, I'm being such a big man right now. So they're like, Okay, well, let's start you off on this one. You want to know what the first one is they started me off on? It was called The Demon, all right? And they said, oh, it's not that bad. I said, start me off on ups and downs, left and rights. Don't, don't spin me around and make me vomit yet, okay? You, you can do that later. So we get in line, and it just so happened perfectly that I got the front seat, the very first car. And I'm like, well, isn't this great? So, you know, I get in trying to act cool and calm and reserved, but I think there was, you know, I was wetting my pants a little bit as I was getting into the the thing I sit down and as we take off it starts clacking right clack 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 clack, and we start to turn the corner and Aaron looks at me and says you know what I just remembered he said I remembered there's a corkscrew right at the beginning what do you do in that moment when you're not too fond of roller coasters Well, I did the very spiritual thing. And as we headed for the corkscrew, I screamed at the top of my lungs, I am going to kill you. And I meant it. If you don't fall out of this carriage or if I don't fall out of it, you're gonna wish you would have. We go around and then you whip to the right and then to the left. And not only that, but it had two loop-de-loops in it. Oh, forgot that too, pastor. Sorry about that. I tell you what, when you start out on a roller coaster called the demon, the other ones don't seem that bad, right? But it's still a journey. I want you to know this. When you decide not just to be a Christian, but to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you may think you have it all figured out, and you may have been told, well, you know, I think this is the way it's going to be. You never know what kind of twists and turns are going to come. But Jesus says, but you don't need to worry no matter what corkscrew you may be going through right now, no matter what ups and downs you may be going through in your life, when you follow, you're a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. Know this, the Holy Spirit's got your back, and he will walk with you through it every step of the way. You will receive the benefits. Yes, it's never fun to go through those difficult seasons, but Jesus will lead you through that process. In Jesus' name, amen? Father, I thank you that you love us so much that no matter what we're going through in life, no matter what up and down we're facing, that Jesus, you're going to strengthen us. Uh, There's no loop-de-loops. There's no challenges that you don't see coming. And Lord, you have all the answers. So we choose today to lean into you. Lord, I pray today for those of us that as the message was coming out, that Lord God, maybe for some of us, when we talked about what's our Isaac? What's the thing that's the hardest to surrender? What's the thing that we're afraid to surrender? Because if I surrender it, he just might take it. Lord, you're not here to take anything. You're here to give. So Lord, would you teach us what it means to surrender, to lay down, whatever that means, uh, our anger, ability to forgive, ability to receive forgiveness, whatever that is. Lord, we take our Isaac, if you will. We take our offering and we surrender that to you. And Jesus, we ask that you will lead us through this process, through this journey, because we know we will become greater on the other side because of it. And we ask this all in your name, amen.